and friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. My name is Sam Huff. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church, and it's my privilege to share with you, to dive into God's Word with you together today. Today we're going to begin a brand new teaching series called Esther, Living a Life in Exile. And we're going to begin today with a message about how Jesus is a more worthy king. And it's going to be a great day. Hey, before we do anything, I'd like to ask you to make sure that you're liking, subscribing, hitting the, the thumbs up, you know, hitting the sub notification bell, uh, letting so that we can let you know when the next message is coming out. Uh, make sure that you're sharing these messages and doing all the things that really help us a lot as we try to reach out to as many people as possible with these messages, with these teachings, with the message of the gospel. Uh, I, I'm just so grateful and thankful that you're here today, and I'm looking forward to diving into this teaching here today. Uh, and uh, I want to pray with you and pray for you as we begin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful that we can come before you. We're thankful that we can know you. We're thankful, God, that you are at work in this world around us and that even though we are strangers in this world and to this world, we know that, God, we look forward to the day when we can be with you. We can come home to you, where we will be with you in eternity in your eternal kingdom, that we can know you, this eternal king. God, I know that lots of us in this world have uh, have things drawing us one way or another, and lots of us have have had tough times, and, and lots of us have had struggles, and, and and lots of us, God, have have looked and sometimes wondered where you are, and yet we know that you are working and unfolding your plan, uh, that you are that you are providentially at work, and your hand is at work as we seek you. Even though we don't always see it, we know that it's there. Because, God, you show yourself that way. God, I pray that you will bless this series. Help us as we get to know what it's like to live a life in exile as we wait and hope for a better home. And, God, I pray your blessing on each one who's here with us today. I pray that you would encourage. I pray that you would lift up. I pray that you will help us all as we seek you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, let's dive into this series. Like I said, we're going to begin a brand new series where we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about Esther living a life in exile. And we're going to see this woman named Esther who really lives a life where she's seeking God's will. She's seeking God when the whole world around her, it seems like, has forgotten God. Even God's own people have mostly forgotten God. And, and she's going to be alone with one other as she tries to be faithful to God's will as she lives in exile in Persia, in exile under a, a king who just worships not God but himself and his wealth and uh, all kinds of stuff is going on in this story. We're going to dive in and, and get to know a little bit of it. But I want to begin with a question. Have you ever had a time where you just felt like you fit 
in. You you were you you met somebody, you joined a group, you walked in a room and you just knew that this was your people. Now I'm not talking about ethnicity, but but people like you, people who were interested in the things you were interested in and there was just an immediate connection. Uh, you know, you you just connected with somebody. Well, I I mean if if you put me in a room full of people who love fishing. Oh man, that's going to be a fun room for me. I'm going to connect with those people, learn some ideas from those people, hear about their fishing stories, and, and I'm going to love every minute of those conversations. Or you put me in a room filled with people who train Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I'm going to nerd out and geek out. You know, I'm going to I'm going to be interested. And maybe at some point th- there's going to be people on the floor, and we're 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 learning moves and, and showing one another moves and and talking about it, it could be really interesting when you get a bunch of jiu-jitsu guys in a room. Uh, you you put me in a room with someone who uh, who who really likes to maybe play games, or who likes to uh, play computer games or or PlayStation games, and and I might geek out on that too, or like sci-fi, or or I mean there are all kind of things that I find myself interested in that I like to talk about and I like to I, I find interesting and and I can really geek out about those things when I get around people who like the same things. But you put me in a room with some people who are just the opposite, and we're going to have the opposite experience. You know, uh, it, it can be it, it can be a, t- a tough time. And maybe you've walked into a room where you knew there was a connection, but have you ever walked into a room and you knew this is not my people? And again, I'm not talking ethnicity here. I'm talking interests. I'm talking uh, connection, you know, because uh, ethnicity doesn't have to matter when it comes to that kind of thing. But you walk into a room and you're like, this is not my group. These are not my people. I'm an outsider. You know, you, you put me in a room full of people who are talking about their love for their 10 to 20 cats and uh, I, I'm probably going to have a hard time connecting there with that. I'm sorry if you love cats, and I'm happy you love cats, but uh, but, but that's going to be a tough connection for me to make. Uh, I have one cat, and I do love my cat, but uh, I'm not really a, a cat person, uh, so to speak. You, you put me in a room filled with people who want to talk about base jumping or who want to talk about airplane jumping out of airplanes, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm just going to feel like I'm outside of this crowd or you you put me in a room full of people who are talking about how to dismantle uh their their engines and they're talking about the knibbler bits and where they go and I know there's not such a thing as a knibbler bit but that's what it sounds like to me I mean it's all Greek to me so to speak and uh and I'll feel like man I I just don't know what's going on here I'm an outsider I, I don't connect with this and and you put me in a room filled with people who are quilters you know I I love your quilts and I they're warm and I like to snuggle with them but I'm I'm telling you, I don't get it, and uh, it's just not my 
thing, not something I understand. I appreciate the end result, and I'm going to be happy that you're interested in those things, but I'm probably going to be the outsider in the room. I like to think that I can connect with people and listen to other people's uh, desires and interests, but I'm going to feel like uh, I'm just, I'm outside of this group. Have you ever had that experience? Well, the truth is, if you're somebody who wants to seek God out in a world that wants to reject God, wants to forget God, in a world where, well, the enemies of God have put themselves into a position that even Jesus would call the devil, the prince of this world. When you live in a world that is trying to turn people away from God and you want to seek God, well, it's like you're in exile. It's like you're an outsider in your own world. You can even find yourself as somebody who's seeking God, becoming an outsider in your own family, becoming an outsider in your neighborhood or your community. You can find yourself really becoming an outsider. The the farther you want to pursue God, the more you want to pursue God, the, the farther you want to take your faith and the more commitment you want to bring to God in your life, you're going to be seen as, well, as an outsider, and you're going to feel like you're in exile. And and the question is going to come, how do we live in a world where we are in exile? Now, Jesus is going to teach us that that's how it's going to be. When you follow him, when you say yes to him, when you make first-time decision to follow him, and then you follow that up with the next steps, the early next steps, things like repentance and baptism, and, and then you start going to church, and you start start trying to change your life, Jesus would tell you that you're going to become an outsider in this world. In fact, what he says about his followers in John 15, 19 is this, the world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of this world, and so it hates you. In other words, you're now an outsider when you're seeking God, when you're seeking faith in Jesus. In John 18, 36, Jesus teaches us, saying that my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. My kingdom, he said, is not of this world. And when we choose to pursue Jesus and his kingdom, we also become a part of his kingdom that is not of this world. And and so, in a way, just like Esther would be living in Persia under a Persian king as a Jew, she was living as a Jew in exile there in Persia. Just like that, we too find ourselves in a world where we are foreigners and strangers and where we are in exile waiting for the day when our king receives us and when our king brings us fully into his eternal kingdom. We're waiting for that day. And as we wait, we can learn from people like Esther. Uh, we can learn how to live in exile in this world. And, and we're going to dive into this series and talk about the idea of 
of living in exile in a world as we try to seek Jesus in this world? How do we do that in a world that has forgotten him and turned away from God? Well, we're going to learn from Esther, and Esther is going to begin by reminding us that, uh, that, that, that we worship a king who is worthy, and he's more worthy to be worshipped, to be served than any other power in this world. And we're going to be reminded of that as we open up the book of Esther. We're going to open up to uh, Esther chapter 1. And, and throughout this series, my goal is to walk through the entire book of Esther together. We're really going to get to know this book and, and this woman and, and the story here. And the book is going to begin by telling us about this very powerful, very influential, uh, very, uh, well, He's just a very amazing man when it comes down to it. And that man is not Jesus, although he would sound like Jesus sometimes as you describe him or as you listen to him describe himself. No, we're going to get to know this very powerful man. And and to compare the power of this man, I, I sort of did a little... Uh, looky-loo. I, I did a little googling. I wanted to know who are the most powerful men in the world today. And I came across a bunch of articles. I came across Forbes magazine and some articles, news articles of, of, of that I've never heard of before. And but I was browsing through them, and I came across all kinds of lists, like the 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 15 most powerful men in the world in 2022, and. and and uh, 10 most powerful men in 2022. And I, I just did all kinds of, uh, of, uh, of looking around. And one thing that I found was that there was a commonality when it came to the top three most powerful men in the world. You saw the same three and, and almost all the lists that popped up. And here they are. Let me give you the top three most powerful men in the world today. Love them or hate them, agree with them or disagree with them. The article doesn't have anything to do with liking these men or agreeing with them or even wanting to side with them. It's just simply saying based on their wealth, based on their power, power based on their influence. They are the most powerful men in the world. And here they are, the top three. I'll give you the third first. The third one is Donald Trump. Now, now Donald Trump sits as a powerful man because of his, his, being an American politician and an ex-president and, and being someone with all kinds of wealth and influence and being a business owner and a land owner and being, a, uh, uh, being someone who has all kinds of real estate and, and a casino owner and a developer and a hotels and, and all the stuff combined that Donald Trump has at his fingertips, uh, whether you love him or hate him, voted it for him or didn't vote for him, uh, you're hoping he runs for president again or you're hoping he doesn't or whatever the case is, it's undeniable that he is a very powerful man in this world because of both his wealth and his influence. He's very powerful and, and, and so he's the third most powerful person in the world and almost all the lists. Well, the, the second runner-up for the most powerful man in the world would be Vladimir 
Putin. Now, Vladimir Putin, uh, he was a former intelligence officer who became prime minister, who became the president of Russia. He's the longest serving European president to date. Uh, he, he seems to be embracing this persona of the tough guy president, you know, love him or hate him. That's sort of what he's doing. He's putting an image out there of a good looking, powerful president. That That's what he wants to do. And and according to one source, under his leadership, Russia has seen its economy grow. It's seen unemployment cut in half. It's seen all, all kinds of raises come for, in terms of raising up the wealth of his country. And, uh, and I'm not uh, sure how much of that is propaganda or true. Uh, but what we're looking at is he's someone who is loved and who is powerful. And, and he has incredible power power and influence and wealth. Even today, he's leveraging his power as the president of Russia with, with hundreds of thousands, well, with a hundred thousand troops at the border of Ukraine. And, and the talk of the day is it could happen at any time. There could be a war between Ukraine and Russia. And it looks like Vladimir Putin has hopes of rebuilding the, the Soviet Union and empire uh, by by taking Ukraine and then who knows what's next. Well, I don't know if that's really the case or not, but we, we see this man in history today, this man who has incredible power and uh, he's very, very powerful and very, very influential. And even today, he seems like he's this this force in the world who's going to do whatever he wants to do. And, uh, and regardless of what other European or Western countries want. So Vladimir Putin, he's the second most powerful man in the world. And the first most powerful man in the world, his name is Xi Jinping. And he's the ruler of China. He's, his, his title is the president of the People's Republic of China. China. Now, he holds the reins on the second largest economy of the world, and, uh, and, and he holds those reins and probably will continue to hold those reins because the word is that he has systematically purged <laughs> China of any rivals to his position. Uh, he has direct control as the president of China over the armed police forces of China, the, the armed uh, liberation, people's Liberation Army of China. And so as the president of China, it's not a checks and balances situation like in the U.S. between the president and Congress and Senate. Uh, no, there's no division. It's simply he's the president and they do what he says and he's in control of the army and he's in control of the police. And so he has a lot of power. He has direct control over over China. He, he owns uh, China and China. China is very, very big and very influential. China owns over 18% of the world. And with all that power and influence that 
Xi Jinping has, he has power and influence over the 1.4 million, sorry, billion people of China. And factor that in with all the countries that China has a heavy and a strong influence over. I mean, countries like Russia and, and Vladimir Putin, countries like North Korea and India and Pakistan and Vietnam and Burma and Afghanistan. Now, love him or hate him, agree with him or disagree with him, uh, that's regardless of the point. Most sources will say that Xi Jinping is the most powerful man in the world. And so I go through the, the three most powerful men in the world according to uh, articles and according to news, according to thoughts today. Well, this man that we're going to come to today in the book of Esther, well, he will make those three men seem like small potatoes. In fact, he will have more power, more influence, and, and he will have uh, uh, more wealth than all three of those put together. And, and maybe, possibly, more power and influence than anyone uh, who's ever lived in all of history. But we're going to get to know this man who called himself the king who was over all kings, this man who declared that he was all-powerful, this man who declared that, that, he was, uh, that he was to be revered as a god. And no, we're not talking about Jesus yet. This man, we're going to meet him in the first lines of the book of Esther. We're going to see that Esther is going to make some bold moves with this man, some bold moves with this uh, king. We'll see her put herself at risk for her faith in, in, in God in the midst of, of being in the presence of this king. Now, the book of Esther, it's only one of two books that are named in scripture after a woman, and, and the woman that it's named after will be sort of the heroine of the story. We have the book of Ruth, and, and, and Ruth is the subject of that, and, and we have the book of Esther, and the book of Esther, Esther will be the, the hero of this story. And this book will, will be about the faith and the boldness of this woman, and, and sometimes women will be the only ones in their culture who are going to show faith and boldness and so often women seem to have a, a a softer heart for the things of God and and the men around them need to be reminded by the women around them that uh, that well it, it's time to turn back to God and it's time to be faithful to God and Esther will show faith and boldness like that and and this would be a special book of the Bible for the Jewish people as it will show the beginning of the the feast of of Purim we're going to talk about that later and we'll we'll see that later in this series in this book well it was written about about 2,500 years ago, and no one really knows who the, the actual author was, though we know that all scripture is God-breathed, and, and we know that this is a book that God has given to us so that he could reveal us to something to us and, and teach something to us. Now, many think that it was written by Esther's cousin, Mordecai, and that's a possibility. And, and, and so we come to this book of Esther, and we're going to meet this king 
And before we dive into the text, I just want to introduce you a little bit to this king we're going to meet. His name would be King Xerxes. I just love that name. It's fun to say Xerxes, you know. And, and, and he would be the king whose father would be King Darius of Persia. Now, he's most famously remembered by the battles that he had with Greece. If you saw the movie 300 and, and you remember, you know, the quote, this is Sparta and you you saw the 300 and it was a whole bunch of dudes that were all jacked up and and ripped and uh, wearing not enough clothes and they were going to war with this uh, Persian army and, and and you had the 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 strange king who was being carried around on his throne on the battlefield and and that king in that movie was Xerxes that was the story of Xerxes and and his attack of of Greece and the Spartans who who stood up against him. Well, that was one of his more famous campaigns. And, and we're going to meet this Xerxes when he first begins in the early years of his reign over Persia. Now, Xerxes is, is certainly one of the most powerful, one of the most influential men in all of history. Uh, he will be in his mid-30s when we start the book here in, in, uh, in Esther. He will be somewhere around 35 and in the third year of his reign over Persia, and he would he he would be this man who would rule over not fifty states but over a hundred and twenty-seven provinces. The it will go from the Nile down to Kush, which would be like through Ethiopia and down to the Upper Nile, uh, and uh, and from India, sorry, to all the way down to the Nile River and Kush. And, and early in his reign, he went on this expansion campaign. The first two years of his reign, he was basically at war, at war with Babylon and overcoming Babylon, who at the time was the most powerful uh, kingdom in the world and who had conquered the known world. Well, the Persians defeated the Babylonians and, and took them over. And so he spent the first year of his, uh, the first years of his reign attacking Babylon. And then he spent it also attacking Egypt and trying to subdue Egypt and and it was just two years of battles and wars and and, and early on uh, we see that after he invaded them, he's going to decide that he's going to take a break and they're just going to enjoy the spoils of their war and enjoy the wealth of their kingdom. And we're going to come to that in a minute. And a lot of what we know about this king named Xerxes comes to us by way of, a, of an ancient historian known as Herodias. And Herodias would write about him and tell us about him. He would tell us about how Darius needed to choose a successor for the king kingdom of Persia, and so he chose his son, who, who would be known as this Xerxes. And, and his son really never did live any life of hardship. His son lived a life of wealth and luxury and, and really, you know, some might say he was living like a spoiled brat, you know, and in the palace, growing up in the palace, never had to work a hard day in his life and, and never had any hardship or toil. He just lived a life of luxury and, and a licentious life. He, he lived a life where he, uh, you know, enjoyed all the things there is to enjoy in life, but then overindulged in those things. 
things as well. And and when he takes the throne, he's going to continue to overindulge. And, and he's going to continue to be someone that, well, we really have a hard time relating to because he has so much wealth and so much power. And and he took the reign. And, and when he took the reign, he stayed a self-centered, you know, spoiled person. And so much so that he began to act like he was a god and ask people to treat him like a god and he wanted people to worship him as if he was a god now we don't know if he worshiped uh, any other type of religion most would say that he probably followed some of the tenets or ideas of the zoroastrian uh, religion which is an old ancient religion king darius followed in and uh, and maybe he followed a little bit of that but we do know that he eventually got to a place where he just worshiped himself and asked people to worship him too uh, the people of his kingdom worshiped him as a god he had power and influence over this entire vast kingdom which by the way was it, it was the world's known kingdom the world's biggest largest most well-known empire i mean there wasn't it wasn't like it is today where there's all kinds of different empires and all kinds of different states and countries and and things like that no in this day uh, the persian empire was the whole known conquered world and uh, and so and he was sitting right at the top of it controlling all of it owning all of it and he said listen i will be known as the king over all kings so you might say king of kings does that sound like something we've heard before and, and he would say listen all my decrees all the things that i say should be adhered to and received and respected as if they are the words of a god and and when he spoke his words were sent all throughout the kingdom of persia they would send messengers to take his decrees and his decrees were received and, and his decrees were accepted and his decrees became like basically like we see the Bible. His decrees were accepted as the words that were to be obeyed and that were to be held as if the words of God himself. Well, he had vast amounts of wealth too and and among the wealth of the kingdom that he had he had built up he had more wealth than Elon Musk and 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 Donald Trump put together and all the wealth of the world combined he had more power than the 15 most powerful men of the world today combined he had more influence than than all of the US presidents combined in history have ever had i mean this guy he was I hope you hear what I'm saying. This guy was a big, big deal. And he surrounded himself with, with power. He surrounded himself with a, a group of elite fighting soldiers that he had chosen from around his kingdom, the best of the best of his fighting soldiers, which he had a lot to choose from because it said that his armies were, were numbered in the millions, not, not, not just the thousands or 
hundreds of thousands. He had, he had a vast army. And out of the, those millions, he, he pulled out uh, some of the most powerful men and, and made them his elite fighting force. And those men would surround him. Those men would, would stay with him. They were like the secret service army around him. And, and they protected him. They would kill anybody who approached him without uh, having been invited. They would protect him, anyone that might attack him. They would protect his throne, and, and they were his elite fighting force. And then there's interesting when it comes to his throne, because he had this big special throne that was built in a way that it was majestic and beautiful, and when you looked at it, you had to look up to him and see that he was this majestic king who sat on his throne, and, and his throne was carried around. I don't I picture Star Wars and Jabba the Hutt being carried around by his minions. And, and that's how he did it, you know. King Xerxes would have his throne elevated and held up by servants that carried his throne everywhere so that people would look up to him, see how powerful and majestic he really was. And they would worship him as a god who sits on his throne as he's surrounded by his elite fighting force and army and and he even sat on that throne as he went out into the battlefield as his armies would attack whether they were attacking Babylon or the Egyptians or the Ethiopians or whether they're uh, attacking the Greeks the Xerxes would sit on his throne. His servants would carry it down into the battlefield as he was surrounded by his elite fighting force where he would look over as the god sitting over the battlefield, you know, and, and he would be feared. I, I mean, that would be somewhat of an intimidating thing to look out and to see this vast army of millions of soldiers coming and, and this, this king sitting on a throne carried out into the battlefield as he watched his victory come. I mean, this was how powerful and elite this king was. Now, interestingly about this throne, uh, no one could approach this throne without punishment of death. If you touched this throne or sat on this throne, you would be punished to death by his elite fighting force. If you entered the presence of this throne, maybe stepped on the rug that was laid when the throne was put down, you would be put to death. If you approached this throne in any way, unwelcomed, uninvited, unasked for, the punishment was death. And that's going to be important to the story of Esther as we move on. But we see how important and how self-important this king was and this king's presence. It would bring the presence of, of fear. It would bring the presence of uh, power. It would bring the presence of intimidation. This was Xerxes, one of the most powerful men, not, not in his world for his year, but one of the most powerful men who probably sits at the, at the top of the list or near the top of the list of the most powerful men in all of history. This is Xerxes, and, and he's a big deal. And, and it's into this Xerxes' life that God will begin the story of the book of Esther. God will, by the Holy Spirit, bring us to 
Xerxes and tell us about Xerxes. And he will begin the story of Esther uh, telling us about some some of the things that, that happened in the third year of Xerxes' reign. It says this. I'm going to open up my Bible and, and look at uh, Esther chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 1 to 9 today. And, and it says this. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes, who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne. And, and so think about that throne as it's lifted up in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign... He gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, and the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and the glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on mosaic pavement of porphyry and marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was in abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink in his own way. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of Xerxes. And, and here we see uh, this party. God will begin the story of Esther by telling us about this, this lavish party that goes on. Uh, the first two years of his reign were at war, and then he decides, hey, let's spend 180 days having a party. Let's spend six months <laughs> having a party. We're, we're going to celebrate all that we have, and, and, and I'm going to have this party so that everyone can see how successful and powerful and majestic and, and how I'm filled with splendor. I just want to display my splendor, and so let's spend half a year just having a good time. And in this half a year, there's going to be all kinds of wealth on display. And there's going to be all kinds of, uh, of, of food and drinking and all kinds of stuff's going to happen. In fact, for 180 days, for, for half a year, uh, it's going to be open bar and the tab is on Xerxes. It's going to be open bar and all the nobility and all the important people and all the other wealthy people in the kingdom are going to come and, and the powerful people in the kingdom are going to come and we're going to have this party for 180 days. And so they 
they did. They had this party for 180 days, and it was pomp and splendor and important people hobnobbing with the snobs, so to speak, you know, and, and they're having their party for 180 days. And, and then there was a seven-day party for the rest of us, you could say, right? There was, there was a seven-day party at the very end. It was sort of like the, the condensed version for everyone else. And so from the least to the greatest, they were invited to this party for seven days. For seven days, it was open bar tap for them too. And, and, and for seven days, they were allowed to come into one of the palaces of this king because he had more than one. They were invited to come to one of the palaces and they were invited to come to the garden of the palace and they were going to also see all kinds of wealth and, and all kinds of splendor and they were going to also be able to eat to their fill and drink to their fill all that they wanted. It was open bar tab uh, on the uh, on Xerxes once again. And I think about the garden. I mean, they said, okay, we, we go through this text and God wants to let us know some important stuff about Xerxes and his splendor here. Uh, he wants us to see what kind of man Xerxes was by this party that he puts on. And we come to the party, we come to the garden, and, and in his garden, uh, there's some interesting things. And I think about his garden versus my garden, you know. In my garden, there's lots of dirt, lots of mud right now, and, and lots of, uh, of weeds starting, and, and there's plastic, you know, laying around, and in my garden, uh, I have like maybe a little garden gnome that kind of disappears sometimes. I can't find him, and then I find him, and, and, uh, and in my garden, I have uh, lo lots of messes, and in my garden, I, I do have, I was really excited about a, a couple years ago to finally build a fence around my garden to stop deer from coming, so I I felt like that's a pretty good deal, you know. I got a fence around my garden. Well, in his garden, what does he have? Well, in his garden, he has pillars of marble and uh, and white, blue, and purple linens hanging uh, with silver rings attaching them to the marble pillars. I mean, that's what's in his garden, you know. My garden versus his garden. His garden is probably is more beautiful. Uh, I don't know if you ever had uh, pillars of marble with uh, with linens hanging from silver rings in your garden it might, it might be pretty but that's what he has and we come in and we see this this beautiful garden this beautiful Persian Mediterranean garden that's 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 here and and uh, and we're, we're we're to think of this lavish beauty at a time when linens were one of the most uh, you know wealthy things, and linens of color were even more picturesque of wealth because uh, because color was harder to come by in those days, and and so he's got these linens in this beautiful garden, and and not only that, but the patio furniture is described. Now you got to remember this is garden furniture, patio furniture, your outdoors furniture. And, and I think about what the outdoors furniture looks like in, in my garden. You know, a few years ago, I, I bought a little uh, metal table, uh, you know, and, and, and with a couple little nice little bistro looking table and chairs. And, and I got that in my garden. And, and, on, and on our porch, we have plastic chairs and a couple of metal chairs for sitting outside. Uh, but here's what his patio furniture was made of. Well, it, it was made of gold. 
It wasn't just lined with gold. It wasn't just, you know, adorned with gold or gold plated. No, this was a gold couch and not just one gold couch, but the text says gold couches. And so he has multiple, not just chairs, not just a little chair, but couches made out of solid gold and they're all around his garden. And and he has other couches made of solid silver and and they're all around the garden and, 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 and sitting out. What's your patio furniture made of? And then we're described for us what all the the couches are sitting on and and were described what it is that people were walking around on uh, when they were in the garden and and I think of my garden again and I think of the things that I put down on on the pathways, I think about sometimes you got cedar chips, sometimes you just get wood wood shavings, you know, and, and you put it down. Or maybe you make a, a concrete walkway. I've been in the process of making like a concrete walkway in my garden. And, and slowly but surely every year I do a little bit more and uh, I've been making it, you know. But here it says that, well, the the wood chips in his garden weren't wood. But they were precious gems and stone. Well, what it says is it says that that on the ground were precious quartz, uh, purple quartz and gemstones. Now it uses the word uh, porphyry. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that right, but but basically what that, I think it's porphyry is how it's supposed to be said, uh, porphyry. And uh, and basically this word means purple quartz and precious gemstones. And and you look down on the floor in his garden and it's purple quartz and and precious gemstones everywhere. And, and, And also it's all embedded in, in marble and, and you look around and now I think of where you might find marble today and occasionally you might find someone with a really nice marble countertop and, and that mountain uh, that, 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 that marble countertop is going to be sort of a, a highlight of the kitchen it's a, it's a very very nice marble countertop that uh, that that really puts uh, an effect on this house because it has that nice marble countertop. Well, here the marble is on the floor in the garden. You know, that's how wealthy Xerxes was. He's he's got the precious gemstones and the quartz and the marble and it's it's flooring for him. It's the it's the mulch in the garden on the garden path, and and not only that, but there's also what it calls mother of pearl. Now, how many of you women and would would like to have something called a mother of pearl hanging on a on a necklace around your neck? You know, I, I mean, we think of pearls, and, and then we think of the mother of all pearls, right? Well, well, here he's got the mother. Of pearls laying out again on the floor. Now, when I read this, I think of the vast wealth that he had and how things like gold and silver were so common that he turns it into patio furniture and and precious gemstones and quartz and pearls and 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 marble well it's so common that well 
let's make some flooring out of it, you know, and throw it out into the garden. And, and it sounds a lot to me like, well, if I just went to all the jewelry stores in all of Oregon and bought up all of the the gems and jewels and gold and, 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 and jewelry, and then I brought it home and, and I just poured it around in the floor of my garden, that's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing these people walking around and and eating and dropping a, a chip. You know, I, I dropped a nacho on the floor and I reach down to get my nacho and I see, oh, look, mother of pearl right there, you know, and and uh, I, I reach down to clean up this salsa that fell, you know, and oh, look, there, there, well, that's a that's a sapphire right there. Interesting, you know, and I, I guess I'll wipe it off and then I'll go sit down on that gold couch over there and and that's the wealth that was going on and then on top of this wealth there's all kinds of special drinking now i say special drinking because he makes wine available at an unlimited tab you know it's like the open bar for 180 days and then seven on top of that for everyone else and uh, and it's going to be on king xerxes he's paying for it all and he sent out a decree he sent out a message remember what he said is received as the word of a god as a command and so he sends out a decree decreeing that everyone should drink as much as they want <laughs> and and it's on him and it's not just any wine not just any drink but it's the king's wine which would be the best of the best wine and he made the best of the best alcohol available at unlimited <laughs> in an unlimited fashion and uh, and then on top of that when you walked into the party you weren't handed like a plastic red uh, party cup you know you, you go to a party today a, a kid's birthday party or a, a college frat party or you go to uh, one of your friends house to their party they're putting on and, and how often do we see those red plastic party cups in someone's hand you know you walk in and everyone gets a party cup sometimes people write their name on their party cup well well you walked into this party and you were handed a golden goblet I mean a solid gold cup to drink out of I, I think this one's made out of some sort of glass or stone and, and most of my cups are are glass at home or porcelain and uh, well I don't have any gold ones and I especially wouldn't use a gold one if I was throwing a party, you know, and, and handing out uh, party cups. But here's how, how it happened in King Xerxes' party for, for half a year. Everyone was handed a golden goblet to drink their unlimited wine out of it. And you get the picture that there's all kinds of, of splendor and all kinds of pomp and all kinds of self-indulgence going on with Xerxes and this party and he wants everyone to think about how great he is well we're also told that there's a ladies party happening in another part of the palace too sort of an identical party going on and it's being put on by Queen Vashti who's the queen uh, that Xerxes is married to now he wasn't always married to her because she used to be his brother's bride and he looked at her he liked the way she looked and he decided he was going to steal her from his brother and so he married her and made her his wife and, and then he 
he looked a little bit later and, and saw his niece and uh, also decided to steal her from his brother. And Xerxes, well, let's just say he liked the ladies. He had all kinds of, of other women in his life, all kinds of other women that he married. He had all kinds of women in a harem that he would uh, be busy with towards the end of his career. In fact, Herodias would tell us that the last 15 years of his reign, it's said that, uh, that he was so busy with his harem and his wives, and he was so indulgent in that, that he didn't even really take care of matters of state or matters of, of the kingdom. He was just busy, you know, uh, being sidetracked by his lust for women. And, and so we also see not only is this king uh, a, a sort of a, a full of himself and full of indulgence and full of self-serving and, and, and full of wealth and power and fame and worship and all kinds of stuff, but he's also a womanizer. And it's said that he was kind of good looking too. And so that probably helped him uh, as he went along with this. But we see this king, and, and one commentator said it well. When it comes to Xerxes, he was a completely self-serving and grotesque man. Wow, that's who he was. He was this king who was self-serving and grotesque, and he was the king over all kings. And it's interesting to think that this is what, God, by way of the Holy Spirit, decided to tell us about this king to begin. And we might ask why. What was God's purpose in telling us about this king and his vast wealth and how grotesque he was? And and I think God wants us to feel as we read this that, man, there's way too much here. There's too much going on. There's too much wealth. There's too much indulgence. Uh, this man is self-serving and grotesque. Uh, but I think God wants us to also realize that there's a sense to which Xerxes is a small picture of one man who has all this. And in a way, he's a picture of the world and what the world wants and what the world desires and and what the world around us is trying to accomplish and what the people of the world only wish they could have and well you and I don't personally know anyone who really is truly like Xerxes we actually live in a world a lot like Xerxes don't we we live in a world that is filled with lusts we live in a world where, yeah, we might be grossed out and, and we might be disgusted by Xerxes' many wives and harem and, and the kind of indulgence that he indulges in sexually. But then we realize we live in a world filled with men who, if they had the money, would do the same thing. And I know that's true because of the porn industry and how wealthy it is and because of how many men are drawn in, whether they're kids or adults, are drawn in to looking at other uh, other women who aren't their wives or their wives-to-be, looking at these women who are someone's sister, someone's niece, someone's possibly wife, and, and they're self-indulging. They, they might not have the power and the wealth and the ability to do what Xerxes did, but if they could they would. And we live in a world that's 
different, but the same, isn't it? And we live in a world that's filled with materialism. We might not have the ability to have the kind of luxury and splendor that Xerxes had, but most of us have an appetite for more that is never satisfied. Most of us have an appetite for more where we just want more and more and more and more. We, we seek to acquire more. We seek to make more. We seek to own more. We, we seek to expand our footprint. We seek to have more. And, and it's this insatiable, this, this appetite that's never satisfied. And, and we look at his his uh, his luxury we think that's too much and yet if we could we maybe would the world is different but it's the same isn't it and we live in a world filled with drunkenness and gluttony and a world that if it could it would we live in a world that would love to be able to just have a six-month party of drunkenness by the way i can't imagine what it was like to be in persia by the summer that year i mean six months into that year everyone has horrible hangovers and a horrible grumpiness and attitude that must no wonder they were at war with everybody all the time and, and I, I mean you can you imagine <laughs> millions and, and millions of people uh with drunken hangovers after six months so there's going to be a whole lot of people having to go into rehab and sober up and 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 and, and what a world that would be but we live in a world too that that looks to to get high i mean there's a a pot shop on almost every street corner you, you go to some places like the bible belt there's a church on every corner but you come to oregon and there's a there's a pot shop on almost every corner and and, and everyone's looking to get high or or looking for a, a drink or, or looking for some substance and and we think wow that that must have been just debauchery. And yet we realize that, well, even though things are a little different, things are the same, aren't they? And we do live in a world where people are looking to overindulge in incredible ways. We, we live in a world where, where people want the kind of glory and splendor. And people want to be looked at and seen as glorious and, and, and looked at and worshipped in the same way that Xerxes was. Now, you might not say that out loud. You, if I said to you, oh, you want people to worship you, you'd probably be offended. No, I, I don't want that. But then you look at the way the world uses maybe even social media you look at the way people get on instagram and the posts that they make and and you ask the question why what are they trying to accomplish well some want you to watch what they're doing because they are important and they want you to know that they're important they even want you to see what they're eating because what they're eating is important they want you to look at them so that you know that they're significant they want you to look so that you can see they're successful so they'll put their trophies they'll put their accomplishments they'll put their 
what I just did and what I just accomplished out there because they want you to know how successful and important they are. They'll put on fake smiles so that you can think that they're so happy in their lives. Now, that's one that I have learned as a pastor. I mean, I'll talk with people who are on the verge of divorce and they're posting on Instagram how much they love their hubby and their time with each other. And I've learned that there's something of a facade happening here. Uh, But then people will post about how happy and joyful they are so that you know that they're happy, that they're joyful, and that you will celebrate their splendor and their wonderful life with them. And, And then they'll say, look what I'm drinking. I can't, I can't believe how often people will put their drunken pics on on social media. I mean, I don't really want to see the drunken version of you smiling and your plastered face, but you do it and people post it and they're proud of it because they want you to know that they're living the life, you know, they're celebrating life. And they say, well, not only that, but listen to my rant, read my article, read my post. Hear what I have to say because my edicts are like the edict of a god. And, and we're we're doing that. We might not be Xerxes, but it seems like the same thing is happening on a smaller level. It seems like we're looking to accomplish the same thing. And then we want people to see our beauty. We want them to see us look good. So we figure out how to pose, how to hold our face, how to suck in our cheeks, how to how to place our tongue at the right spot, just so that we can make the best picture possible. And if we have to, we're going to use a little Photoshop to fix that picture up, or we're going to use a little bit of, a, 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 of an app that fixes things for us, takes away the flaws and the pimples. And, and makes our skin look better than it is. And, and we put this facade out there so people will see how beautiful we are so that they will worship us. And, and some people put pictures of their bodies up on there because they want people to see their body, even if that body was half paid for and, and not given them by Mother Nature. They want people to see how beautiful they are. They want them to see their splendor so that they can worship them. I guess things aren't as different as we thought they were. It's the same world, in other words. The same world that is looking to worship something other than God. The same world where we want to worship ourselves and we want to worship each other and we want to worship a a facade and we want to worship the the materials of this world and we want to worship the things of this world and we want to follow the people of this world and and times really haven't changed we just don't have the power xerxes had but if we did how many of us would do the same thing and what do we do When we live in a world that's completely turning away from God and we want to follow him because we know that the whole thing is a facade and we know that there is a king who is worthy of our worship. And that's what we're going to find about Esther. Esther is going to to try to serve God and seek God because she knows that that faith in God and obedience to God is where real wealth is. And she knows that that living for God, 
is where real life can be found. And, and she's going to stand alone with her cousin. And the two of them are going to be two people who in a world filled with this kind of indulgence and debauchery, in a world filled with this king who wants to be worshipped and feared and revered, she is going to fear and revere God. Because Jesus is a more worthy king. And now that we've mentioned God, it's interesting because if you were to read through the book of Esther, you would notice his name is absent from the whole book. He's never mentioned by name at all. You, you read through the book of Esther, and by the way, I want to encourage you to do that as we go through this teaching series. I, I would encourage you, open up to Esther. We're going to read through it and study through it uh, all along as we go through, but I would encourage you, give it a read all by yourself uh, on your own, you know, sometime throughout this series. Read through the whole book of Esther, and you'll notice that, that God's name isn't anywhere in the book. He's not mentioned once. It will describe a culture and a people who have forgotten God, turned away from God, and you have two people who want to serve God, and yet God is never mentioned at all. At the same time, the story of Esther is the story of God slowly unfolding his purpose and his plan. We don't see his name, but we see his work. We don't see or hear his name we see his hand move. We see how he works in a world where it seems like he's silent. It seems like he's absent, but he is right there and he is working behind the scenes. The book of Esther is really about the sovereignty and the providence of God at work. And here's where it comes to you and me. We don't have a Xerxes and we're not in exile like Esther is. She's a Jew living in Persia in exile. But we do live in a world and among a people who worship powerful people, wealth and influence and gluttony and drunkenness and sex. How do we live as foreigners in a world surrounded like that? How do we live for something completely and, and totally different? In fact, even though we're in the world, we know that we're not of this world. We've been called out of it by Jesus, and, and we're strangers in this world, and this world is not our home. We look forward to someday being called to be with Jesus in his home that he's preparing for us in eternity, and, and, and this world is not our home. At least, it ought not to be. And we ought to be looking to live for that world that we're going to and for that king that we are serving and going to serve. And, and we ought to be living differently and worshiping differently and, and living differently. And, and how do we do that in a world that's doing something completely different, in a world that's going to try to sidetrack us, in a world that's going to try to get us to worship something else, in a world that's going to not only not encourage us to grow in faith, but discourage us from growing in faith. What do we do? Well, one thing we do is what we'll see Esther and Mordecai do in this story. And basically what they will do is they will say, not me. I'm not going to do what you're doing. I'm not going to worship who you're worshiping. I'm not going to serve who you're serving. I'm going to boldly live differently. 
you know, the Apostle Paul is going to encourage us as believers to do the same. One time the Apostle Paul would teach the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 18. He says this, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can the righteous partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there between, be between Christ and the devil? How can believers be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among the unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, what he, Apostle Paul is saying there is don't join the party. Don't follow suit. Don't fall in line. Don't walk in step with the world around you. Be bold enough to live differently and to come out from among them. Uh, to serve Jesus, who is a worthy king, and to serve him alone. Don't join with the Persian people in, and in world worship, but stay loyal to faith. Stay loyal to Jesus. Loyalty to this king who is worthy is the way that we, well, we live in exile and we stay worth, uh, stay loyal to our king. In Proverbs 3, 3 to 4, it says this, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Well, how do we do that? How do we be loyal in a world when we live in exile? How do we be faithful in exile? We do it by remembering no matter how wealthy, no matter how powerful, no matter how influential, how grotesque the world around us gets, no matter how much self-worship and people worship people do around us, no matter how much of this world reminds us that we're outsiders here, and no matter how much this world makes us us want to be in no matter how much of this world affects other believers around us because it's going to sometimes we remember that we worship a worthy king who is greater and even if you're the only one you're going to decide that you will seek that you will serve that you will worship him only because he alone is worthy you see, Jesus is a more righteous king. He's a more worthy king. He's a good king and a good God. He's not self-serving and, and, and self-just uh, 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 embracing. He is a servant king. He's a king who's more worthy. You know, Xerxes was the son of a king who inherited his kingdom, and he was a spoiled rich kid who probably would never relate to most of the world around him. He thought by indulging people in luxury that, that, uh, and indulging them in sin that he would endear them to himself as they saw how splendorous he was and how majestic he was and and how how powerful he was well jesus is different jesus isn't the son of a king jesus is the son of god 
Xerxes didn't understand or service people really, but Jesus was the Son of God who became one of us in order to relate to us. He became one of us so that he could serve us. He stepped off his throne, became a man, suffered and died, and then rose from the dead to give us hope and life. He offers us riches, but the riches of heaven. A place, by the way, where the couches aren't pavement, but the roads are pavement. Uh, sorry, the roads are gold. The couches aren't gold. Uh, and, and, but the I, I just said that all wrong, didn't I? <laughs> In heaven, the roads are paved with gold, and, uh, and that's even greater wealth than a world where the couches are gold. Okay, I, I said that. I got that out. Forgive me for, for messing that up. But Jesus is greater. He's more worthy. He invites us to a greater kingdom, a, a greater place. He invites us to a place that's eternal, which, by the way, uh, Jesus is better and more righteous as a worthy king too in terms of his goodness i mean he is good and completely good there was no sin in him while xerxes was self-indulgent prideful and sinful and yet jesus was humble and sinless uh, jesus is better because well xerxes eventually died and Xerxes today uh, doesn't have the opportunity to enjoy all his wealth and gems and his garden and his couches. I mean, Xerxes today, uh, well, if, if his bones are even left, that's all there is to him. And yet Jesus rose from the dead and lives today, sitting at the right hand of God, serving us and working in this world to draw all men to himself we can until the day that he returns not riding on a throne held up by people but riding on the clouds and uh, he will come and conquer all his enemies and invite those who followed him to follow him into his glorious eternity in heaven Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. He, he's more worthy. And, and Xerxes, well, he might have judged all who stood before his throne. I mean, Xerxes would judge them to death if they came uninvited or unannounced, if they touched his throne or stood on the carpet in front of it. Xerxes would bring condemnation and judgment to all who were before him. He would judge the armies before him. He would conquer them. And, and Jesus is greater because Jesus one day puts his foot on the heads of all those who are his enemies and and jesus one day judged xerxes xerxes stood before jesus and jesus judged him jesus made him give an answer for the life that he lived because jesus is not just the king of kings He's the Lord of Lords, and He's the great I Am, and He is the one who will judge all things and will be the one by whom all things will be judged. And so Xerxes uh, would have to stand before Jesus and be judged. And, and so Jesus is more worthy to be worshipped, and Jesus is a greater king and a more powerful king. And, and Xerxes said that he was the king over all kings, and yet we know Jesus is the king of kings. 
kings, the great I am, and the Lord of lords. And, and so he's more worthy to be worshipped. We're here in this online teaching time worshiping Jesus together. We come together not to celebrate a, a self-indulgent, uh, grotesque man, but we're here to celebrate this truly God-man who was God who became a man and lived among us and gave his life for us in order to give us hope of eternal life. And we're worshiping him because he is a good king, a serving king, king. He's a loving king, an understanding king, a, a merciful and compassionate king, and a forgiving king, and a gracious king. We're here in his presence together to honor him and honor his name because he has the name that is above all names. His name is above the top three most powerful men in the world today and the top 15 and all the other powerful men in the world. And His name is above the name of Xerxes. His name is Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God. And we worship him because he's a worthy king. How do we live in a world of, in exile? Well, we remember, first of all, that Jesus is the most worthy of kings. It's not me. It's not you. It's not some other political leader or king it's Jesus and we put him first let's pray together Father in heaven I pray that you will help us as we go through this journey through the book of Esther to learn about how to live a life seeking you in a world that's forgotten you God I pray that you will encourage us in this series that you will help us by revealing yourself to us in a special way i pray father that you will help us at times where we forget that you are the worthy king at times where we maybe envy the wicked we look at the riches of the world and want to pursue them we look at the things of this world and the success of the people of this world and we look at we look at this world and and we're enthralled by it we're taken captive by it we're drawn away from you by it i pray god that you will help us to remember that you are the worthy king the one we should worship so that we can learn how to live for you in the midst of a world where it's not a world that's our home. A world where we look forward to being with you in the world that truly is our home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, once again, I want to say thank you for joining me in this teaching time. I'm really looking forward to working through the book of Esther together and, and getting to know how to live this life in exile. Well, I want to make a little transition here, and I want to uh, encourage you. If, if these messages, if this online teaching time is encouraging to you and being a blessing to you, and you would like to support it, and uh, and you want to be a part of, of what we're doing here at Vernonia Church with our online teaching time, I'd like to invite you. 
one of the way I mean there's all kinds of ways that you can give to Vernonia Church one of the ways you can do it is by going online at www.vernonia.church now Vernonia spelled V-E-R-N-O-N-I-A so it's www.vernonia.church and there on our website is a give tab you can hit that give tab and you can set up any kind of giving you can set up giving in any way shape or form uh, to support uh, what we're doing uh, you know some people choose to give a dollar per message as we go through every week they set it up to give a dollar weekly some people set it up uh, to give more generously and to give a bigger amount we 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 have people who are doing all kinds of different things when it comes to giving to Vernonia Church and and you're welcome to join us in giving you're welcome to join us in supporting this ministry and it, be, I want to uh, just make sure that you hear me say thank Thank you. Thank you on behalf of Jesus. Thank you on behalf of Vernonia Church. Thank you on behalf of this ministry for giving. Uh, and thank you for being a part of the work that we are doing, those of you who are giving. I want to say thank you. And uh, I want to I want to invite you to pray with me for the ministry of this church, to pray with me that we will be a church that will help people learn how to seek God in a world that's uh, trying to stand in the way of anyone who wants to seek God. And so I want to invite you to pray with me for the ministry of Vernonia Church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to pray for Vernonia Church. I want to pray for the leaders here at the church that you would bring encouragement. I want to pray for the, the preaching here at Vernonia Church, that you will help it be preaching that will be uh, true to the Word of God and that will be messages that you want spread throughout uh, this community and spread to our to our online community god we thank you for the work that you're doing here and we pray for the work that we're doing here that you will help us to do what you want us to do that you will help us do what you're calling us to do as a as a church god i pray that you will work through this place pray that you will spread the gospel through this place that you will help people come to saving faith in jesus and and that you will help us to bring a message that will help people walk away from the other gods they worship from the other things they worship from the other way of life they're living god i pray that uh, you will bless the effectiveness of vernonia church of this online teaching time we pray that it will go to people who need it that that these messages will reach people who will be encouraged by them who will be blessed by them uh, who will be lifted up by them and i just pray that you will bless this ministry it's in jesus name we pray everybody said together amen well i want to finish up today and by the way i, I didn't mention uh it's super bowl sunday and one of the traditions at uh, vernonia church is on super bowl sunday i invite everyone to wear their favorite uh football team's jersey I am a Bills fan. I've been a Buffalo Bills fan since I was a little kid, and uh, I've, I've been a Buffalo Bills fan. I grew up in Rochester, and the Buffalo Bills would, would have their team practices and work. They, 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 would, they would do stuff in Rochester, and, you know, Buffalo was just about like a 45-minute drive from my house, and, and so I've been a Buffalo Bills fan all my life, and, and now that I live in Oregon, I'm still a Buffalo Bills 
fan, and I'm going to stay a Buffalo Bills fan. So I've got my old Thurman Thomas uh, jersey on and and uh, having fun. I'm going to wear this uh, for worship service, for in-person worship service. Uh, and so it's just something we do for fun. We like to enjoy it. I hope you have a fun day at Super Bowl Sunday today. I hope you enjoy uh, your time. I hope the team that you want to win wins. Uh, and it's not the Buffalo Bills, so I don't care. Um, it hasn't been the Buffalo Bills for a very long time. I don't know if it ever will be, but it looks like things are looking up for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, but anyways, uh, I hope you have a great day. And I want to finish up by declaring it's already been a great day together. On the count of three, one, two, three, it's been a great day. I hope you have a great day.